Hi all. This is an unusual episode for us with an unusual chronology. We recorded the first of our two episodes on TTI in early November, and then Tygon joined us for a follow-up episode a week later before episode 65 was live. But before we released that episode, Emmy, the author of the Ixun Draconist game, stopped by Voltaire Station to drop off a few secrets and touch up some confusion that we were unleashing on Soul. So the before and after of a lot of this is hard to pin down. That's not really important, but I just wanted to mention. The first part of this episode is Emmy's interview, and then we pick up with the second part of our TTI series at about 34 minutes if you want to jump ahead. Or not. Enjoy! Okay, Emmy. So, bearing in mind that you will be either before or after Tygon guest hosting on the episode of Radio Free Demos that you have not heard, the second part of TTI, I'm going to ask you now, how did I get this wrong? (laughs) Don't don't worry about it too much. Again, like I said, all this stuff is kind of what is interpreted or picked up from the reading. So I was just going to mention stuff that there were questions that came up in the uh, episode that were answered, and I think they were just kind of missed. But I, I wanted to clear stuff up in case there was confusion on your side, so that if you're trying to build theories or something, at least it's built on on a consistent foundation. Of, Thank you. Of, at least one that is, you know, the same as the one that's proposed, because I'd hate to have you kind of proceeding on the idea of a certain thing being there that was actually not there. And then, like, all of the theories end up being based on something that wasn't there. Well, no, that's fair. We do have a very limited amount of scaffolding to build on sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you talked about recursion a little bit, which is cool. Um, and that's that's the idea that they were pulling into kind of alternate versions of reality rather than going back and forth in time. There was something pitched a little later on in the uh, episode or in that same section where you said that by doing that, they were basically providing Hydra with a whole lot of information. And that's true to a degree, but there's uh, sort of an overlap that happens here that I think needs to get explored a little bit because it will help kind of clarify why things like using this again to get rid of the spire can't happen or other questions like that. And it goes into the nature of what Hydra is. And this is just kind of a fun conversation to have because I like this creature. Um, And I don't think I've really talked about it much in general. Well, you haven't statted it out yet, and I'm waiting. (laughs) Anytime you add numbers to a monster, the players find a way to kill it. (laughs) Yeah, I I assume Hydra will be in the Book of Antagonists soon. (laughs) Yeah, it's there in, you know, Chapter 13, goes right below, like, small gremlin monster, (laughs) uh, giant cosmic horror. It's alphabetical. so when the uh, Echo Project took place on Earth with the humans involved, they didn't end up creating Hydra. Hydra is a thing that exists everywhere already. What they did is Echo opened up this this kind of sound tunnel, you know, call it call it a tunnel into space or whatever you want to call it, uh-huh. uh, that was reaching into other realities. And it didn't really do anything. You could you could enter it, and you would end up being mutated and warped and destroyed because it was another reality, and they didn't know what they're going into. Yeah. Um, so that was unpleasant. And some of this is um, kind of suggested by just the doorway nature of the monolith and early mm-hmm. experimentation with yeah. it. And, and that was sort of what it was doing. So they discovered fairly early on that you can't really send people in. They don't come out right. Um, or they don't come <laughs> out at all. They turn into foxes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's just like the internet. So they started shouting into it. You know, they sent signals into it. They started looking for people. And at one point or another... Um, wait, 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 wait. Spo- Did you say they were they sent signals into the monolith to find other people in this other reality and other life forms you know they didn't know what they were going into so they were sending signals it's the same okay. thing we send signals into space right okay, to okay. see if anything answers and eventually something did in the form of exploding somebody nearby and using their blood to write a message um the message were were other glyphs on the floor that was the first interaction with hydra when the bad thing specifically writes its emails and memos in blood 
which it does repeatedly. This is not a nice entity. <laughs> Maybe it just doesn't understand. <laughs> Blood's a very good medium for communication. Look how well it like, uh, transverses oxygen all over the place. So anyway, <laughs> so this was a meeting with a guide. Hydra had the ability to, to interpret what was being told to it and give back something that was understandable, which was not something that was ever encountered before because everything that went into this rift came out completely ununderstandable. Hmm. Signals didn't bounce back properly. You know, you couldn't get any information out of it because nothing was reflecting. This entity reached back through and established consistent communication. And that was really where that first contact happened. The Hydra entity is described in the book as a metacule manifestation. And it is a being that exists in all realities at all times. So it is it is this godlike phenomenon that is able to translate between indecipherable realities, which normal things can't do. They right. go into the next one. The further away you get from home, the more nonsense it makes until you fall apart. It can actually translate between every place that it's currently located. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's it's so all one, one, one point for it. Mm-hmm. And in that same sense, it exists at a single consistent time within all of those spaces. So how that kind of moves into the idea of what happened with the, the last recursion is that before that point, Hydra didn't exist in our reality. It, you know, it, it moves through these different tiers, like different levels of space and different layers of something. It made contact in some way that isn't thoroughly described with the trust. And when Town was brought back by that whisper, that was Hydra entering our kind of spheres of reality uh, at that moment, right? That was its first introduction into Zero Peel. And it hits that point at its timeline. So at its timeline, it's at 600 or something after Earth in the HSD timeline. Yeah. But on that kind of time hopping thing that they were doing, where they were going through different recursions of their own timeline by going to different dimensions, Uh it is arriving at its fixed point in all of those dimensions. So if you did a time hop, quote unquote, to like cowboy times, at cowboy times after the point that, that Hydra infiltrated our reality, there is a giant red spire on Earth. If you did the same hop forward 3,000 years into another version of zero-kill reality, where we're now 3,000 years in the future, there's a giant red spire on Earth. Its progression is the same in every reality. I hate to say this, but the only other sci-fi source I know that uses that specific method of time travel is Bill and Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Just just so you know. Oh, Oh, it. It's hopping between different like realities and the same thing. I've seen that on all sorts of stuff. Okay, oh, Dragon well, the, Ball does that. There's a, there's a cute scene where they're arguing about whether they can do something or not, and they said, "Well, yeah, because it's Thursday there, we can't do it anymore." <laughs> but yeah, so the the thing about using recursion to try to undo it is that yeah, you could probably find a way to go back a hundred years using the Echo GIF. But if you did, it would be the same size spire in the same place. Right. If you went back 100 years, 1,000 years, no matter what, it progresses at the same rate in our reality once it arrives. So you're, you're, you're advancing along Hydra's timeline at, at, at this point. Any point past like when Hush appears, mm-hmm. you're, you're operating on in Hydra time and not necessarily with the full realm of possibilities to explore. That's, that's basically TTI's big, oh shit, we messed this up. It can't be undone. It has huh. to be beaten and you're trying to fight a god. Huh. Okay. Well, no, I don't feel so bad about having missed that bit of cogent information. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's that little bit. Oh, um, why the space magic is sold publicly. 
so this is a this is a, a thing that is it comes up a lot, right? People kind of wonder why the uh, why the thing that explodes people is is sort of sold out in the open. And the thing about it is it is presented publicly as like I don't know, call it like a lighter, right? If you're buying a lighter, a lighter has a certain a certain thing that it does, and it has a certain level of energy output that is consistent with its function. And we understand one to be a factor of another. The, the amount of energy that the thing has puts out a consistent output. You click the lighter and it's got enough fuel on there and it makes a little flame. Okay. Um, and that's how they're presented because in the vast majority of users, that's how it works. What is not really explained is that that same device, that same lighter can also blow up a planet. <laughs> and there is no separation between the one that blows up the planet and the one that sets the little fire, except for the person using it. Huh. And the only way for them to study said event is to look for people who can use it that way. That doesn't seem very ethical. Of course, we've had the conversation no. about ethics before. <laughs> yeah, not very at all. Um, but they need to, it's such a rare thing. It's not, obviously, any player character can take it because otherwise, you know, nobody plays the Star Wars game if Jedi isn't an option, right? Yeah. So um, it needs to be available for player characters. But the percentage of people that actually have radiance is supposed to be really, really tiny. So they, they can't just grab a blanket control group and give them all implants and, and say, okay, we'll see which of you 100 gets it because nobody's going to get it. Hmm. They have to grab the entire population to look for the people that are actually going to get it and then study them, which is one of the reasons why they own all of Europa. And probably one of the reasons that, oh gosh, I can't remember, the current head of Spyglass? What is her name? The little aardvark girl. The little aardvark girl? I don't recall an aardvark. She, she looks a little aardvarky in the color text in core extended and i'm totally drawing a blank on her name elsie the, the yes yes the yes head? yeah that's probably why elsie was such a hot commodity in the uh core extended color text a bit yeah she was a monitored experiment uh, among other things but she's also the the a, a a born child of two users um and that will occasionally result in funky stuff in this case it resulted in the haunted shadow so they they wanted to to kind of keep an eye on that sort of thing because of the overall age of implants. You don't really have a whole lot of radiants that are breeding. They have tried events to try to sort of hook them up to create a child of two radiants so that they can study them, um, but it only works so well. You know it, that that again goes down to the darkness of how you want to run your setting. This is the same kind of concept that what was it? I think B five had for trying to breed psychics. If you if you start forced breeding plants between psychics, you might get a better psychic. But she was just the product of two radians. So, uh, and she ended up with something strange. She had the wacky shadows, so they were trying to study her, and she is away from them now. So what I have learned is that it's not so much that the agitation implant can cause a fireball the size of a small planet, and therefore we shouldn't use it, or that it's a threat to civilization. It's that it has the potential to do this in a small select number of people. And wouldn't it be fun if we could figure out who those people are so we can collect them for later? <laughs> or, or figure out what trait is causing it. That's the big one right now is they have no idea what causes radiance. Ah. So if they can narrow that down, then they can isolate it, remove it, put it in certain people. They can control who has the power, which is ultimately the goal of any kind of organization is to control who gets to have power. We found the uh, shared trait. The corporate structure. <laughs> We found the shared trait. They all have PC tattooed on their forehead. Yeah, I mean, that's one of them, right? <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're trying to figure out what they have in common mm. uh, so that they can do that. And they are using all of Sol as kind of a breeding ground. And the big motivation behind it is that they, they need to find some means of fighting the big red thing because otherwise there is no surviving. 
Uh, so we are doing, doing scorched earth tactics at this point. Temperance, who is the Kermit, the, the Kermit, the current, uh, <laughs> the current, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm head of TTI. <laughs> the current, uh, uh, she's an Illuminar, which is a high ranking position. And she's also the, the shed, TTI shadow president. And her goal, which is not really shared by many of her contemporaries, but her goal is to save the universe more than it is to save the solar system. Um, she would like to, if it's possible, but she doesn't really know a way to. She thinks there might be a way to keep it locked here, which is a, a more positive option because at that height in kind of TTI hierarchy, she's pretty well aware that there's a great deal of intelligent races out there. I mean, they have artifacts from from deep dives into space and stuff. They've, they've encountered other civilizations that are they've, far, far distant. That um, is a very big picture approach. Right, but that's sort of... That's sort of how the, the the really tall, big brains in the company are supposed to be working. <laughs> and even then, she's kind of one of maybe two that are operating on that philosophy of, you know, it'd be really nice to save home, but we should probably accept that home is fucked. And we have to go deal with saving the rest of the universe from this reality-consuming monster. Oh, how Hydra got to Mars. So it stuck a ride on the uh, the code that was sent up with the payment information. Oh, like the there's a little the, comic about it in the the staticky transmissions from Earth yeah, over hundred years. In, no, the uh, the sound and silence. There's a little comic in the middle of sound and silence that yeah. talks about a scientist that was there that uh-huh. uh, was working on the Pelman project and felt sort of responsible for their destruction and had this race and they sent up code upward with this sort of cry for help kind of thing. And it was on one of those transmissions. I believe it was also part of the uh, initial vector one that was put up there as well, like save these, save these creatures. So basically there were, there were a couple uh, large Canon transmissions that had a lot of data in them and it was in one of those. And I think it's kind of, I mean, that was, that's sort of like a one line thing in there, but yeah. it, uh, it, it snuck a ride on those. Huh. So same, same period as the, as the help them memo, same idea even. Yeah, I'm trying to remember offhand if it was that one or the one that had the Palman information on it. But there was there were there were a couple that were sent up from from key figures, and it was involved in those transmissions. Well, that gives me some timeline stuff that I didn't have before. <laughs> a little bit here and there. I mean, offhand, that's that's all I can really remember, and it's mostly because I see people make the "why wouldn't we just go back in time" argument fairly commonly, um, and I just wanted to mention as to why it's it's because this thing is not really a factor of our time it's it's time and now that it's here it's here everywhere you can't really outrun it it's just there it's the same size on its pace in every reality uh at least every adjacent reality of our own kind of space throughout time that door has been closed pretty much yeah um so it it has to be either stopped or combated and that's one of the things that we we have um if we're talking about large you know transcendent things to fight something of this size there are a couple a couple options on the table um, all of which are pretty far-flung or dangerous. There is another MCM that TTI is aware of, the one that actually started on, the, the one that is involved with the monolith. Ra is the, the other one that has been to our solar system before and is apparently not there now. Huh. But uh, it had a species that was uh, very closely attached to it, the FOA. The FOA is an actual species from our universe, but it's one that's been so entwined with Ra's energies for so long that it's kind of quasi-transcendent. Hmm. Um, so they've, they've been kind of deformed and, you know, work off its energies. They've adapted. They've had billions of years to kind of adapt to exposure and they get pretty intelligent. The higher up in the system they get, the ones that are on Europa don't really reach that level 
for the most part. But if you go through the portal, if you will find a way to, to turn it on and go to where that species is actually located, there are ones there that are more intelligent. They actually made the portal and they made the other stuff that are with it. I mean, we've seen what the orcas have become, and that's you know arguably one of the higher end uh, transcendent organisms we've got. Yeah, they, so. they have stats. You can kill them now if you want. <laughs> or they can kill you. There's a scale of power to them, and they qualify as an entity that is capable of being dangerous at any range. <laughs> so they <laughs> approach with extreme caution. Yeah, so they, they have a species that has kind of become herald to them. Presumably, if you can get Ra and Hydra in the same place, they will compete for the same territory, which doesn't stand very well for you know the solar system. There but it survivors. might stop them from yeah, they, they, they might stop them from spreading outward if they're busy locked in this stellar battle for however long they're locked in it. There's the the ones that Hemdall created, which is really kind of the best hope. Um, and it's oh. the one that certain people are are banking on because if you get all the Nephilim together in a, a single point of, of kind of stellar contact, they should become one of these creatures. Well, that seems um, like a brilliant, well thought out plan. <laughs> it, it's it's another one where you know maybe the solar system isn't going to do very well with it, but they might at least have the power to stop it from expanding. I was surprised by this, but I thought that Heimdall Heimdall I always get it wrong. Heimdall created those. He did. Oh. Okay. Yeah, well they're, they're generated. It's implied that the knowledge to do so was gleaned both by him just kind of being a prodigy and this sort of thing, but it was also given to him by Hydra. It was part of the exchange. There's a lot of questions I have about that particular moment that I don't think can be explored. <laughs> <laughs> it's written that there is an exchange that took place, and it must have been an exchange of, of just astronomical power and importance of information because it got him back. And he was able to use it to build these beings that, when combined, will be t- become a, a entity nigh unto God. And um, in, in canon, we don't know where he is anymore. I mean, the body was never found. Dead. Yeah, his body wasn't found. He's supposed to be dead. It's been several centuries or a sure. century. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that that works out. <laughs> He's supposed to be dead. <laughs> if it works in Marvel comic, comics, it works yeah. for Jesse. <laughs> Nobody's seen him in quite a while. We'll put it that way. Tygon pointed out that there was PC rules for bioprobes, and I had missed that in the uh, Oh, yeah, that was document. another one. To, we can just kind of clear up that vocabulary a little bit. Bioprobe is, a, is a, a general term used by all of the different factions to describe something that is manufactured to kind of higher biological levels than what is acceptable for a vector. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it turns you into kind of a different level of we need to monitor you kind of thing. Right, different, um, different vector, legal status. You, yeah, different legal status. As a vector, you're not allowed to buff yourself up to the point of being, you know, dangerous to to tanks without that being something that classifies you as something that is, you know, a vehicular hazard. So you get this title of bioprobe past a certain point, and that's supposed to be illegal-ish in that it's not something you can go down to a surgeon and say, yep, I give up my status as citizen, make me into a monster. They can't necessarily do that because you're dangerous at that point. But it's, you know, it happens in the, in the dark science labs and the high military factions. And, you know, it is a thing that can be done. It's just not supposed to be done. I think it's the word bioprobe that kind of gets in our heads because that sounds kind of science fictional. It sounds kind of biological and a little bit body horror-y. And I think early on, like my table kind of associated that more with strange, weird looking critters that TTI generated as opposed to just a catch-all class of semi-organism that was created. So it took a while right. for me to get to that point. Yeah, and you'll, you'll be happy to know that there's a little blurb about it in, in the next book, just mentioning that that was an engineered term specifically to get people to not think of it as organic horror. 
Okay. Okay. So um, they, the, they chose that word because it was sterile. Okay. So we should imagine that in 700 AE, the term bioprobe does not carry around like the image of a lumpish Igor sort of thing or the orcas necessarily. It really is a clean generic term that just means created life. It's like car. You know, there's okay. trucks, there's vehicles, there's there's motorcycles and stuff, but they all kind of count as car. Okay, that helps. Um, that helps. Yeah, uh, I get I get the, hung up on connotative meaning, so there. The ones that do have the weirdness to them and the uh, the transcendent connections are specifically TTI's FOA based biopros. So the ones that are built off the FOA DNA, and I don't even know that it's necessarily DNA. I'm trying to remember if I used a different term for it or if it was referenced that way or not. But basically, well, got, the FOA it's got code. Three strands, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's science fiction enough. The alien code that is specifically owned by TTI grants it those extra properties. Um, mm-hmm. And they are still, quote, bioprobes, but they're unique in that they're, they're FOA bioprobes. So the orcas are FOA bioprobes. The, uh, the ships are FOA bioprobes. Technically, they're called ships because that, again, is a refinement of classification that shows that they're larger. Well, you're trying to sell them as well. Yeah, right. So you wanted to know what they do. We were actually talking about this a little earlier when I posted that thing that you commented that it came a little bit too late. <laughs> um, <laughs> Timing. In that, yeah, all of these things are agroforms in that that is a classification of bioprobe that indicates it's military. But you can have an agroform bioship versus an agroform cryptid that is a certain level of danger versus an agroform uh, gorgon class, which is another dangerous level. They're just you know levels of specificity. And the buildings, do they ever become transcendent on purpose? That's typically not a purposeful thing. <laughs> Sometimes it happens anyway. Okay. There's various, you know, it's it's kind of like the uh, the blue skies in that each building is its own life form and and you can kind of do what you want to with it. But the um they are they are supposed to have a lot of various levels of consciousness in them. It's like having you know hundreds of brains to run every floor or something like that. Much like you have random uh, radiance within a population, you can have random radiance within a building too. Um, you can even have it within buildings that are not biological. That's kind of the, the explanation of like hauntings, uh, is that there's nothing specific about being organic that makes this sort of a unique property. You can have it in a place that has been properly given an identity, Hmm. so to speak. Interesting. Yeah. I know that at some point in time, I need to have a long conversation with someone about the more magical elements of the setting, because we do try and treat it as science as much as possible. That's That seems like the player character level of understanding. Uh, yeah, more or less. The magic part, quote unquote, is a big part of the setting in that it just takes it out of sort of the, the this is only a sci-fi game and gives you a little bit more of that fantasy aspect to it too. But a lot of it is really the concept is trying to drop preconceptions about what certain things are imbued with what stuff. It, mm-hmm. That goes back to having the haunting of objects and stuff. You mentioned the the kind of soul code that was talked about. That is talked about in the book a little bit in that that there's this sort of universal registry that TTI thinks is there and that it's possible to get that registry mixed up. And, and thus will, will allow various properties associated with that registry to end up in places where they shouldn't be. You see this mechanically in the game in the, um, the little quirk that allows you to kind of communicate with dead humans. You, you have the dreams that, that talk to you of times long, long ago. Yeah, that, that former morphism, now a quirk of some sort. Yeah, that phenomenon is is associated with one of those floating registries getting attached to you. That same thing can happen to places, which results in basically that place being kind of haunted. Interesting. Um, it can happen to objects that have a lot of kind of importance to them. So you're talking about like a, um, 
I'll just make one up, right? Say there was a gun that was passed down through a family for three generations that was this this sort of, you know, peacemaker, beloved artifact, and it resonated with somebody in a certain way through through radiance or through some kind of exposure. And whoever it was that that uh, possessed it kind of ended up being attached to it. How do I get a haunted ray blade? That <laughs> um, was actually something that was considered. I was I was pondering putting into the game, and it will probably be mentioned at some point in the next book. But I didn't include it as a mechanism because everybody would want it. Yes, <laughs> it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be a, a kind of degree of rarity to this. I I want this. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was a thing. So there are some surgeries that TTI offers that are way beyond the pale. Like you can start getting interplanetary travel as a surgery, void hide, void breath, void whatever, whatever. The sequence of things that makes you like a transplanetary being. Mm -hmm. Is there some point, I've kind of thought that when you start putting out more energy than you're capable of drawing in, you're probably dipping your toes into transcendent energy somehow. Is there some point where you become a semi-transcendent organism with those things? They're so big. Sort of, but it's not because of the physical changes, right? So the void breath and all that stuff, that is full of organics. Oh. which allows you to do things like exist out in the void without freezing and things like that, because as biological life forms, they can do that. That's just sort of something that they do. So TTI found a way to tap into that to allow vectors and stuff to do it as well. Great. Um, but that on its own does not make you a transcendent being. It just kind of makes you kind of alien. On that same note, you know, wouldn't this turn you into a biopro? Well, no, because TTI has paid off the right people. <laughs> right, because all any kind of legal classification is just a factor of money and power. Right. It's so like the, word, they, the word "insane" has no actual meaning yeah. to psychologists. It's just a legal so, term. Pretty much. Yes, you become a far more alien than local being, but that doesn't necessarily make you transcendent any more than a completely normal vector who has happened to tap into transcendence would be even more transcendent. Hmm. Right. So you have an avenue toward it through an implant. The implant doesn't really care about your physical form at all. Uh, it's more tapped into that registry number, which is why when you transfer from planet to planet and have your body completely broken down, you still have the implant when you come back. Right. Because it's attached to that registry number, unless you lose it. If it transmigrates to somewhere else and you find yourself without it, something kind of fundamental has occurred in there that you can't really identify. Oh, you should be afraid of that. <laughs> it, perhaps a little. The one they killed was the real you. <laughs> or, you know, depending on how closely you adapted. And the fact that they're, um, it's very deliberately not written that, like, you've lost yourself or something on that, because you're still you on the other end, but something has changed. And that something may be very intangible, right? But whatever these things were attached to, whatever cosmic register number was here, isn't there anymore. Huh. Huh, you got a new alarming. Yeah, alarming to the right people. I, I totally want different people to react to that in a different way, right? That should be a really big deal to somebody and somebody else should just really not care because it is this degree of, of substance, non-substance, right? Yeah, so the, the transcendence is not attached to your body. You can, you can change your body as much as you want to in a, in a, a transhumanist sense. Um, and all that's really going to change is how you're interpreted by society and yourself, or maybe not even by yourself, just sort of how you're treated by other people. In terms of the, the transcendence, that's kind of a different thing. And to, to communicate with it on, on a level that is more accessible, you need an implant or you need the radiance quirk. Really, the radiance quirk is what does it. The implant can give you, you know, little matchbox lighter powers and stuff to, to any normal people, but they're not going to start dipping into those deeper kills if they don't have the quirk that's attached to it. And that quirk is, is kind of a random thing. 
Like there, there isn't a, a thing sitting back in the, in the lore somewhere saying only X people have access to this. It's not. It is, it is the whims of the cosmos and, and the player character tag. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of wrapping things up a little bit, one more question. Is there anything we should be looking forward to from TTI Labs in the upcoming book? The Living Armor is coming back. Oh. There's a couple other things. Oh, there's a new variation on uh, transcendent implants to make them less point-and-click power-based and more kind of power sheath, so it just buffs you. Okay, okay. In a certain way for people who want to play that way. So, so it's, it's just a variance on how to use it. Warlock and, rules. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. Uh, it, it gives you an alternative for fun. It was left out of the original specifically for balance reasons because uh, there just wasn't a chance to test it, and it's a little bit more vaporous than the current point-and-click power rule. But if player groups want to use it, it'll be there. There's a whole section on very unique objects, that of which there are only a few. Several of them are TTI objects. Um, one of them called the Emerald Sword is a, a, or rather the Emerald Sword's plural. This was implied with the Materia Architects types. Yeah. The, the Emerald Swords are, are just fountain pens uh, that the Trust had with them. <laughs> uh, when they were going on these these things, it was just, you know, it was a thing that was shared between them. There were these pretty green pens that, you know, had their names on them and stuff. And they they were on the bodies of them when they disappeared for the last time. And over the past, the last hundred years, um, they've shown back up. I think a, there's a total of like six of them that have been discovered. That's a quest item. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and a very minutia driven one. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they've, they, they, they do, um, they do some neat stuff that they didn't do before. They've got some more <laughs> gravitas to them that they didn't have. I found uh, Tyne Heimdall's hole punch. <laughs> yes. His pen's around. They know where his is. Oh, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the other ones have been kind of turned up here and there and they, they get neat powers. They have the ability to write down transcendent effects and then they are, they are set off the moment somebody understands them. So it's, it's kind of a, a cool little power. You can kind of store a power in a place. And when somebody understands what they're looking at, the power will go off. So you can write kind of a code that only one person would get. Or you can do something that only one you know, group of people might understand. It's a way to um, string together complex effects in one time. So it's TTI thinks they're, they're super important because it allows you to kind of time gate certain things to certain people. You can do dozens and dozens of different effects. Uh, level of control they didn't have before. Right, yeah. Um, so they're pretty important. Um, there's a few other ones too. We get back a few of the things that disappeared. The Sentinels will get an, will get an actual stat line. Uh, really? So that you can do it if you want to. Yeah. That's, the, not, uh, that's not the classic deities and demigods error there, is it? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know. So the only thing with Sentinels before, why they were originally left out of the stats, was they were supposed to be a class of power above most people because they had the hard skin and they had the Intellitorm effect uh, together. Like it, it would make you stat-wise just kind of objectively more powerful than any other option. Yeah. And as is generally the case with players, when you have access to that, why would you do anything else? So I figured it would be fine to put it into this book because the guy just want to says, hey, you can't do it. It's in the guidebook. Well, there you go. But if I put it in the rule book, people are going to say, but it's in the rule book. (laughs) There was a certain level in which the Dungeons and Dragons game just changed because they statted out all the gods in one book. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the worries. It's a bad Um, idea in some ways. I'm not saying this is just that was that at the time. Um, I'm, I'm debating whether or not the Nephilim will get stats. I think maybe just their heralds will get stats. The Nephilim will be talked about, at least the ones that are known. There are several that aren't. But I don't know that 
it is technically physically possible to go out there and, and destroy one, right? If you flew out in the, or, in the org cloud and tracked it down and put enough torpedoes into it from enough, who knows how many boats, you could probably blow it up. But it's sort of supposed to be that same kind of level of like killing Cthulhu. It usually comes back depending on what era you're in. <laughs> so, and, and I don't necessarily want to promote this as like, okay, so that's the big thing out there. All we have to do is make a more, more powerful fleet and we've beaten the game. Because there's supposed to be a bit more of an issue than that. So I think what's more likely is I will create their encounters, and you will mostly associate, associate with beating their encounters and either scaring them off or getting them to go away. Can you really kill a transcendent entity like that? We, we don't know. Right. And I mean, and even if you do blow it up, who's to say it necessarily stays gone? Right. The big thing that's supposed to come from giving them stats is really just this message that at present they're mortal. Right, they might be, you know, mortal to the tune of living for eons, or they might be mortal to the tune of almost nothing can destroy them. But they're not godlike; they're just extremely powerful. When they get together and ascend into the state of medical manifestation, they become a god. So they turn into a being like Hydra that exists at all times, at all places. And I guess what's stopping them is left as an exercise to the game master. <laughs> Pretty much, canonically, the only thing that's really stopping them from doing it is that they don't understand enough. They each have different aspects that they have to do. And like any of the other MCMs, they have to illuminate. They have to learn before they can really conjoin. They don't know how to join each other. Oh. It's not oh. even a matter of finding them all. They don't really know how to talk to each other. So don't let them read the Game Master's Guide. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, they are using their heralds, which uh, Rio was a herald, and, and there are several others that are uh, will be talked about uh, as well as a way of collecting information. So they are exp uh, beginning their exploratory phase and um, various aspects of the TTI hierarchy are looking for them for different reasons. Some are looking for them because they think they're a menace. Temper is looking for them because she wants to help them learn because she thinks they're the most likely chance of stopping problems to the rest of the universe and possibly to the rest of Seoul. Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixodraconus fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Demos orbit on Voltaire Station. This episode is brought to you by Semi-Sentient Houses That Eat. You didn't ask for Semi-Sentient Houses That Eat, but we think you'll love them and they'll love you. Why, they're drooling already. <laughs> <laughs> this is the welcome, Matt. <laughs> Remote. This is episode 66, TTI Town. With me this week are my co-hosts, Wines, and special guest, Tygon. Hi, guys. Howdy. Hello. So it's getting time for the pre-pre-holiday shipping frenzy. Did everybody get the sample from TTI's new bathmat bioprobe line? That was a bathmat? I, I, I thought that was regenerating bacon. Oh, yeah. I was wondering why it was, it was very hard to shave it down. That explains the weird smells. <laughs> Mine escaped the box. I think it's lurking somewhere in the kitchen right now, but the floors are a lot cleaner, so that's good. <laughs> It was so fuzzy, I put it on my bed. Oh, that was probably a mistake. Oh. Or a wonderful discovery. No, you're never going to get to sleep on the floor. <laughs> it has taken you centuries to even grasp what we developed eons of your years ago. 
So this is our last episode of our mega corporation series. And it's run from episode 45 to 65. So a big chunk of our time on the air and over wow. a year of chatter. Yeah. I'm still really impressed by, by this. And again, I'm always impressed that we have another episode in the hopper as well. <laughs> it's like we don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So that does make a kind of funny little break period for us. I think we're going to start talking about Blue Skies in the next major saga. Oh, cool. And kind of, yeah, kind of explore the environment of the solar universe with some of the biggest, chunkiest space stuff out there. But I'm hoping that next episode and maybe the episode following, we can do a final lap around the Megacorp track and see if we've left anything out that needs to be covered. So we're asking our fans and listeners all three of you, to suggest questions and topics and ideas specifically related to the Big 7 Megacorps that we haven't touched on yet. Maybe we'll be able to have a a fun episode of 20 questions and playing catch-up and things like that in the near future. So you can reach out to us on Twitter at RFDEIMOS, RadioFreeDemos at gmail.com, or catch us on the HSC Discord chat. You can reach me at Kaladog, K-H-A-L-A-D-O-G, on Telegram. And we'd love to hear from you. This will be a fun little interactive episode, I hope. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So this week's episode is TTI Town, and we are going to be taking a tour through, well, TTI culture. The things you'll see there, things is probably the operative word. At some point in the past, we were going to talk about bioprobes, but we backburnered that topic. And I think this is probably the perfect episode to pick that up. Excellent. Makes sense. Yeah. So question one would be, what, in fact, is a bioprobe? And I think you'll get different definitions of this depending on who you are and where you are in Seoul. It's something you need registration renewed for once a year. No, no, that's technology also. Yeah, yeah. Big weapon mm. technology, at least. It is a very broad term. Yes, this is absolutely true. It covers a wide multitude of sins. It seems like it's the catch-all term for any artificial creature that is not a vector, or any artificial biological creature specifically that isn't a vector. And that does cover an awful lot of things in this whole. Okay, so any appliance that needs shots? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yes. (laughs) Imagine feeding the dishwasher your uh, your plates. I don't know if we have dishwashers in in space anymore. You know, lick it clean. They'd be kind of cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're not dealing with just kind of these large lumbering things, although large lumbering things is an option. Any number of appliances, uh, maintenance robots, some buildings themselves would count as bioprobes. Custom pets. I distinctly remember reading a line that says a that a lot of TTI's pocket change comes from the selling of very cute bioprobes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's both going to be like urban architecture thing, like they call their bioprobe lights lampers, and that sounds really adorable. But also, yeah, little Tamagotchi things you carry in your pocket. Lampers? Where does that come from? Like, lamp, like a table lamp? You know, I bet it's a Miyazaki-esque animated light stand that bops around outside on one giant foot. Okay, okay. Or, or something along those lines. Sounds a little ungainly, but kind of cute. Well, or maybe it's a, a multi-limbed slime mold thing that hangs upside down from the bottom of an arch and just sheds green light everywhere. It probably depends on 
where you are in the city and what kind of makes sense for that architectural area. Hmm. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking lampreys, but I can't think why anybody would want to reference those. No, lamper, lamper. Lamper, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Living traffic signals seems like the worst possible idea. So, so what's the difference between a blip and a small bioprobe? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're having the blip conversation again. I, I can tell you the law. Or as, as much as there's law in Seoul, no, actual law as we in the real world consider it. It is just the law. The definition says that blips aren't bioprobes. They are blips. Okay. I think on a technical level, there, there wouldn't be. Yeah. Blips tend to be built on a generally humanoid frame. They tend to not have powers and strengths that exceed a standard vector. But basically, they are... They're a playable race that's vector-ish. Mm-hmm. But if you want someone that's a living plant thing and that's your personal jam, you'd want to do a blip. Um, something that's very insectile would probably be a blip. Something that's just your unique take on dragon thing is probably going to be a blip. It's more flexible than the established species, but it really doesn't operate outside the realm of like a standard player character kit. Okay. So it's not based on like intelligence or self-awareness because a a bioprobe ship that can be intelligent and self-aware, right? Yeah. At least from the information we have, Uh they appear to definitely have personalities. Generally, their level of intelligence seems to be described as kind of animal level, or at least that's their way of responding to things. But that may not be the entire story. And there's a lot of rumor that says they're much more intelligent than that. Mm-hmm. And even a very intelligent thing might have hard to determine motivations that makes them seem animalistic. Well, so like Tygen was saying, a lot of this is legal definition. Yeah. Um, blips are things that have rights like a vector would or a cog, presumably. So I imagine that if you were in some sort of strange court trial where an inheritance was determined based on whether or not you were legally a person and you were some sort of far out there blip, then questions like self-awareness, motivation, intelligence would factor into it. Uh, it'd be a very sort of Star Trek-y trial sort of thing. Yeah. You know, are you really a person? Yeah, I have, I have to wonder what the, the legal definition of personhood is when it comes to bioprobes. That, that, that must be a complex... <laughs> How do you figure that out? When there are a couple of signature NPCs that are fairly self-aware bioprobes, we talked a little about them in the signature NPC episode oh gosh a year and a half ago at this point that was christmas two years ago Mm -hmm. so there are a couple and they do have personalities and some of them have avoided being classified as vectors because they don't want that civic responsibility that comes with that all right jury duty yeah exactly sorry i can't show for jury duty i'm in dry dock (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i think that that is a question and you might deal with a petty bureaucrat that was complex bioprobe the same way you deal with like a computer assigning you a ticket in line or processing your claims in an asr town or any other town really i I imagine that bioprobes can kind of fill the menial artificial intelligence duties that you get in some other towns that might actually be a good parallel artificial intelligences which are also a thing in uh in hsd Yeah. yeah but they're limited they're very carefully limited Bioprobes can probably be limited. Yeah, I actually don't think they are, though, because there are some that are, you know, good conversationalists. At some point in time, it becomes 
a definitional thing, and maybe you can choose not to have that label of vector or citizen or sentient creature applied to you. It's probably not, you know, because they didn't want to be creatures, but they are the, what were they called, the divine beasts on the Empyrean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those have become biobrobes. Yeah, that, there's this category of people that have transcended vectordom because of like extreme pulse type augments or technological augmentation or just mm-hmm. centuries of life. And those are kind of classed as biobrobes as well. And that's probably more of a legal definition than anything else. Yeah. But you can grow beyond vectordom into something bigger and nastier. I've been doing a little bit of writing on the like Dark Masters of Pulse. And I wonder what they have become and whether that is more classified as a bioprobe or a citizen anymore. If it's not a citizen, though, they don't have to be on the books. So that gives a lot more freedom. Yeah. So so TTI does, is not the only – I mean, if a Pulse exec augments themselves to the point of being a boss monster, do they become a bioprobe too? Or do they have a different different phrase for that? I think technically they would become a bioprobe. But I think the meaning of bioprobe depends on kind of where you are as well. Like if you were in Venus space and you never make it to TTI land, and TTI land is the place that has all these little surface organisms and things like that. They're not so common outside of there. Your definition of bioprobe might be orcas and monstrous building type things that eat people. If you're in a progenitus town, that is particularly going to be the case. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Legally, the definition of bioprobe is probably something... It's like semi-sentient, but not vector. Mm-hmm. But that's a denotative meaning. And your connotative meaning may vary depending on who you are and what your personal prejudices are. Yeah, it's hard to say. Okay. Another just, just kind of question, I, I wonder, does TTI actively avoid using com- computer systems or are bioprobes cybernetic? Is, is, a, is a bioship going to have conventional computer equipment installed in it also interfaced with the the biological part or is everything biological that's a definite yes on computers okay good then i I do remember that from various descriptions that uh, they they definitely have just regular computers for uh, menial stuff the inside of a bioship is actually does not necessarily look very very biological okay for, for the convenience of the crew on the inside that are used to mechanical surroundings and not biological ones? It, it's probably also just a question of practicality. If, if everybody's slipping on the uh, squishy organic floor, that's not good for uh, right. the, the ongoings on the ship. Or sudden <laughs> stops. Yeah. There's some cases like personal augmentation that kind of get directly to what you're asking here. We know that it is common to have technological augmentations, like like you might get in an ASR town. It's also common to have pulse-style personal augmentations. And in fact, people that work with bioprobes regularly tend to have those upscaling physical augmentations. There really isn't a trade in TTI bio augmentation because those are kind of scary and they make you a little bit frightening and squicky at times. So I think that they, yeah, pragmatically choose you know, concrete architecture or bioarchitecture, um, cybernetic computers, arc electronic computers, bioprobe computers, depending on what makes the most sense, what fits their needs. So it goes all over the place. And integrating electronic components with bio components is like a major corporate uh, role. I imagine it might also be out of uh, 
simple convenience for the for the users. Because I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that every citizen in Seoul is familiar in the use of computers. Yeah. If you suddenly uh, need to train the crew of not not all of your ship, TDI has normal ships too. But if you need to train those in the use of completely new equipment, that might just be work they deem unnecessary. Yeah, so, pointless overhead. That, that makes sense. It probably takes a while to, to, to train a bioship into having a consistent GUI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and biotech is, is just expensive, period. Bioprobe technology costs more. The luxuriously, well, like the huge Eiffel Tower-style spire of the heavens which is the largest living creature in all of Seoul right now, is exquisitely expensive. And if you go into a TTI town, probably the occasional bonework building is very much outnumbered by more standard megastructures and buildings. Concrete and steel is cheaper. You can print it with Geomat, and it doesn't take that much work to set it up. Right now, at our current level of technology, biotech buildings and things like that are special cases. And I don't think there's any reason to assume anything different if you're talking about like a laptop or a console or something like that. And there's also some unusual bioprobes that you get just in TTI cities. Um, you'll get art bioprobes. There's a description of, the bio, of a bioprobe somewhere in one of the color texts that describes its millions of glowing cilia. And imagine something like that on a snailish pad that can wrap itself around a building or a structure and just cover it with twinkling lights and then wander off and do something else. You, <laughs> you can get some really unusual and designed for aesthetic organisms deep in a TTI town. Yes, but what what about the slime trail? That's a bioprobe that uh, takes care of that. Okay, okay, good. Well, maybe it turns into jelly beans. I don't know. We're in, <laughs> uh, deep, <laughs> we're in tech level 10 here. But playing around with that, I think, is one of those kind of gee whiz things that game masters really can enjoy and just use that to set a scene. There's also, in the color text that opens up the Sound and Silence chapter uh, for TTI, there's a lot of information about bioprobes just kind of buried there. Like that they're psychically linked to their owners, they're very emotionally responsive. And I don't know if this is what you'd call psychic powers, because I kind of dread seeing that in a science fiction game, or just empathy or or maybe that's inductive signal being picked up somehow i don't know i, I believe the uh item in question here is the suit of living armor though yeah that's a big one and it communicates mind to mind yeah. with its owner mm -hmm. but also i think there's some implication that the bio the large bioship they investigate in that story also has some of that abilities it can kind of pick up the attitude of the people there and respond appropriately in the case of that short story by killing itself Oh, yeah. Killing itself and all of its crew. <laughs> uh, I, okay, yeah, that, that, is, that, that, that is maybe a bit of an extreme reaction, but um, that, would be, uh, that would be an advantage of such a, uh, a bioship if it can uh, react instantly and instinctively to its crew. By killing them. <laughs> well. <laughs> that, 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 not, not just by killing them, there could be positive things with that. Yeah. <laughs> or having birthday parties too, provided by the bioprobes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're laughing, but for, 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 for example, and unfortunately, the only thing I can think of right now is, you know, noticing when you're having a bad day and playing nice music for you. Well, the living armor is responsive. It picks up your emotional cues and translates that into probably 
weird chemicals that it can put into your body to make you perkier or help you survive an accident of some sort. Hmm. Um, so there's going to be some back and forth there as well that is positive. Also, I like picking on Tygon because he's a very <laughs> optimistic person about this corporation. I like TTI, Sumi. I know. And, and thank you for being here again. <laughs> Just, just, just as as a quick aside along that route, along that theme, I remember reading a, a short science fiction story about humans that were living alongside these kind of giant scorpion-like aliens in a very, very um, symbiotic. Symbiotic. There you go. Humans in a symbiotic relationship with these very large scorpion-like aliens. And the aliens, they loved their humans. The, the, the heart of every human home was the, the scorpion matriarch. And she'd just kind of go taking care of people, making sure they had their sack lunch. If someone gets excited, her, her tail whips out and injects them with a little bit of chemical to calm them down. And she's like, there, there, it's okay. And, and also she, she'll do, she can do surgery on them. It's like, oh, look, you've got, some, you've got a little thing in your skin. Here, okay, it's gone now. It'll stop bleeding in a moment. <laughs> But but they have these very very flexible injectors that can inject kind of a, a whatever they want to, and they just they have the right to use them when they feel like it. Also, the reflexes are a lot faster than yours. It's not worth even asking. I feel like if you're dealing with giant scorpions, you are solidly in the realm of biological horror, no matter what the intent. Did I mention that their eggs have to uh, mature inside of a living meat host? Oh, no, you didn't mention that. Thank you. I okay. assumed it. <laughs> it didn't have to. <laughs> Thank you for doing so. But but they're, they're but they're very considerate about removing them before they eat their their way out because they don't want the host to die. Uh, I'm sorry. So anyway, <laughs> I'm agency. not sure that makes it better or worse. Yeah, I don't want to go here anymore. <laughs> I do wonder if TTI technology is as responsive as ASR is, maybe more in a primitive emotional way than a just answering your questions and, and responding to your whims like Alexa does sort of way. But I, I think it can be, but that's a question of trusting the, the biotechnology to do the right thing. And it might require being in a very high-end biological structure to really have access to that sort of technology. You might only get that in a boardroom or a board member building or something like that. I don't know. Right. Because the ship can't necessarily have a close personal relationship with every single member of the crew. Correct. Just that one ensign, weirdly. Because <laughs> he, he smells beautiful. There's an, inter <laughs> There's an interesting line I saw while reading through the TTI chapter, which is TTI is more angled towards the creation of new life and pushing the boundaries of what organic matter can do in general, like as compared to what Pulse does with their biological enhancements. So you are getting really cutting edge, experimental and frightening modification in this area to a part of TTI culture, particularly on uh, Europa, is the presence of the FOEA or FOE or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and this may be a what do you have in your campaign? But I'm wondering if you would ever encounter a foie in an aquarium or in a public building or something like that as an ornamental piece or strange exotic life form. If there's tours that would take you down columns of these captured or re reconstituted blah. Hmm. Because it's a bad idea. Small ones, maybe. Yeah. Like under a yard long, they're pretty nasty customers and some of them have psychic abilities to command each other. So. Yeah. But TTI created them. Well, recreated them and, uh, 
they probably found out which ones are you know harmless enough to have them on display. Yeah, you hardly ever have Jurassic Park style escapes. <laughs> and if you do, that's what player characters are for. <laughs> exactly. And really, you shouldn't have been going in the sewers in the first place. So just don't worry about it. Oh God, the giant albino foie in the sewers. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Which is a really neat idea. I gotta write that down. <laughs> well, there's veins under the surface anyway, so you're gonna have some other weird things to deal with. Apparently, the like underside of the TTI city has channels that carry mineral resources to the different buildings, and sometimes veins under them that really look like blood in the cutaway diagram we have of the town. Hmm. Uh-huh. Which. Probably only in the heart of a European city more than anywhere else. Yeah, uh, like a, uh, an entire city block of bonework buildings. Right. It sounds like you get more of this exotic construction material the closer you are to Europa and TTI HQ. So it may be more common in the Jovian system, like maybe you get this stuff on Ganymede a fair often, or some installations on Io or maybe Callisto, the other inhabited moons. But getting away from that, when you get to Mars, you're much more likely to have just some minor structures and biotech enhancements rather than full-on buildings. And you're going to be in a sleeker, curvier Mars Co. installation for the most part. Yeah, I could see uh, like a bonework building here and there, more or less to, you know, to show it off. Yeah, kind of define the space. Yeah, TTI showing off what it can do. Uh-huh. And that is mostly what these things are for. They're impressive structures, but impractical. Like certain large dogs. <laughs> and it, it, again, that's my love for TTI probably coming through here, but I would not necess- necessarily say impractical, but admittedly not any more practical than your regular building. Yeah, some places where a bonework building makes a lot of sense is in a very complex area where this one structure needs to connect with other structures. Or maybe uh, something that kind of fills the interior of a Venus cavern or something like that, where the space around it uh, starts to become really critical to what the building's idea needs to be. Also, around a, around a biotech, wait, around a bonework area, you can get some very strange bioprobes, like bioprobes that form chunks of road or launch platforms for ships and things like that. They can be mm-hmm. quite large and seriously institutional, architectural, industrial-sized creatures that can serve a lot of functions. Which is still probably less practical than just building a damp road. Well, it depends what what kind of uh, materials you have lying around, I suppose. True. Another side that people on Venus might not have seen so often is the more playful side of TTI. As a company that kind of values science, it does have a culture of novelty and discovery and little side quests and things like that that kind of reward people exploring things and interacting with technology and the terrain. And that's really neat. What are some examples of this? Well, this is kind of like the Pokemon running joke we've had in our campaign. Okay, yeah. Maybe there's a new type of, of uh, buy spot that's built into a, a biogrobe structure. And you by activating, you discover some new activity they can create and do or that it, it interacts in a special way. Or the Lampers is another example, these kind of public uh, lighting, street lighting that can dance around for you or something. And sometimes they'll follow you home and be a part of your life after that and become like a pet or something for the first lucky three customers that discover one. Hmm. When TTI releases some strange new critter, I mean, maybe it's just an art panel or something like that. 
when it releases one of these things or a number of these things in a zone, TTI will say, hey, come and explore. There's this new wireless hotspot creature that you can find. And the first lucky three people get a branded toggle, or maybe they get to take one of them home with them. I don't know, but it's very playful. And yeah, that kind of Pokemon pocket pet sort of idea is there too. Definitely, yeah. And are, are these kind of little custom life life forms, are they tolerated pretty much anywhere? Or are they kind of, do people only trust them and put up with them in TTI areas? I am pretty sure that uh, when it comes to the, the cute ones that would be considered more like pets, mm-hmm. those, those I would say are probably tolerated pretty much everywhere because with as much crazy uh, things that TTI does, custom life forms... To at least to some degree, custom life forms are nothing new in Seoul. That's a good point. So think about the recent craze for large, stupid series of concrete animals that are brightly colored and painted. Like in one city, we saw these giant ponies everywhere that were colored and painted. Or we went to a nearby tiny town and they had hippos that were colored and painted all the time. Okay. It's sort of, it's public artwork um, that takes the form of a creature apparent. And you could imagine a Marsco town or an ASR town or someone just requesting these to make their streets more interesting, to provide, like for a high-end shopping district, an interesting alternative to public transit cars or communication equipment or buy spots or something. Maybe it made sense as an installation for a given community to have these things. Maybe the security guards are wandering bioprobes that can take the form of hedges when they're not active. We, we don't know. It's a, it's a technology and a product that can be bought by any community. Hmm. And I really like the idea of a security hedge now, and I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> One idea I had was w- within a building, a like guide creature, if you want to find a certain person, there, there would be a nest of these little creatures, and you would say, find that person. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they, they would be this cute little... I, I was imagining them sort of ferret-like, they, they would scuttle off because probably through some connection with the building know where that person is and you would follow them and they would lead you to the person you're looking for and then you would give them a little treat and they would scuttle back to their nest. And they make a high-pitched trilling noise. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> I they, see it. They hop in a pneumatic tube to be sucked back to their origin point. <laughs> <Whee>! <laughs> it's the ferret tube. An interesting minor thing about the uh, TTI bonework megastructures they are not 3D printed. And that can have some interesting game effects and security effects because a lot of uh, intrusion technology is based on breaking down these 3D printed things, which form the backbone of most architecture. Oh, so good point. a civic building or a corporate HQ, that might be bone work just because it's unbreakable technology. Okay, right. Because there's, there's stuff that like magic stuff that can dissolve printed buildings. Okay. Right. Yeah, let you phase through it, something like that. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and if you break through a wall in a TTI installation, it's full of eyes. <laughs> I mean, not specific eyes, but cr- uh, creatures. Yeah, well, they mention eyes. <laughs> Fair. Okay, the eyes is bad publicity. They do leak, though, regardless. You can't get around that. Mm-hmm. When there's an accident in a building, in a boneware building, in a TTI zone, a lot of local bioprobes will drop what they're doing and come to defend it. And that is a different sort of behavior that you get with the friendly neighborhood bioprobes because they're acting aggressively and offensively 
or defensively. Huh. Uh, and that's a different side of TTI, and it can be kind of intimidating and frightening because you don't know what programming they're actually acting under as well. That might be a survival response rather than programming. Interesting. And, and, and also, sorry, what, what do you do in a crowded urban area when you're the, your enormous mall surrounded by things on all sides has puppies? Aww. Mall puppies. <laughs> Where are they going to go? <laughs> I... That's, I'm fairly confident in saying that bonework buildings are not capable of reproduction. Let's hope. <laughs> Please have your shopping installation spayed or neutered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were you going to say something, Tygon? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> there was one thing I was tempted to bring up regarding bioprobes, but that involves rules which are not in the book anymore and i don't know if there will be in the uh dm's guide then the in the dm's guide the the beta rules for the second edition had rules for player character bioprobes which were if memory serves the dem- demi class bioprobes demi class so that's kind of lower level i guess uh yeah yeah they had the generally same uh, shape uh, well not not shape but size and physical prowess as a vector okay interesting i i haven't read this These, this is a, a beta release for the was it in 2.0 uh, that was in, in the beta for 2.0 yes oh man how did i miss that i'm, I'm upset <laughs> I, I i i could not tell you they were intelligent so you know f- fully fully sentient and everything it it was Pretty interesting rule-wise because they, they were not vectors and uh, they they literally could not earn money, for example. Huh. One thing that played into uh, the whole question of bioprobe sentience is um, they had, um, I don't remember all the exact terms, but uh, they had basically a constructed personality with certain triggers. Huh. So you had to come up with certain things that your character had to do. Okay, so your command protocol type things. Yeah. For example, and this comes to mind because that was a character concept I had for this, was uh, basically a guard bioprobe that is assigned to someone as like a bodyguard. So okay. a, a, a trigger would be if that person is attacked, you had to defend them. Hmm. Is this kind of like the... Kogsune, in that it's a creature that doesn't really grow very much, personality-wise? I, I, I believe so, yes. If memory serves, the character was basically front-loaded with, with a lot of uh, things. Okay. They started out more powerful, but they couldn't really grow much at all. Which, which was probably one of the reasons why, uh, why they were removed. Yeah, it kind of feels like that's the way Emmy went for the Kogsuni as well. As a different structure of character, they had more stuff front-loaded and less development potential, which doesn't really feel like a good PC thing, except for maybe a short-term mission. I don't know. I, I, I could talk even more about brain bugs, but that's a different topic. I will invite you into the brain bug episode when we finally have it. Oh, please do. <laughs> maybe Halloween next year, if we survive that long. Oh. Uh, but no, we haven't had the brain bug episode yet. They make me twitchy. Uh, they they actually used to make me twitchy too. Then I played one of them. <laughs> I learned how to love the brain bug. Uh, 
Well, maybe there'll be enough in the antagonist guide to make them a little more fleshed out, so to speak, because they weren't included in 2.0. We'll see. Mm-hmm. In the other episodes, we've talked about subsidiaries and things like that in those corporations. It really doesn't feel like TTI has a vast number of subsidiaries. It really feels more like a monoculture, monocorporation than you would get in like ASR or certainly Marsco. Unless you're working at the 7-Eleven, if you're part of the TTI ecosystem, you're probably a TTI employee proper. Maybe. I I don't know. But it doesn't feel like they do the spinoff so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see them having subsidiaries for organizational reasons. But then again, you probably don't need to set up an actual subsidiary for that. Yeah, you might have a brand or something that's got its own marketing program that's a subsidiary. But the structure that's presented in the book seems to be more based on departments and titles for people that are inside TTI proper. And if you're outside, people still seem to really value TTI titles and they will make up titles for themselves in lieu of actual corp-recognized titles. <laughs> but those titles can actually carry social weight because there is a society beyond the corporation walls. So some people understand that they're made-up title and they list to uh, Daydreamer and Isolationist were suggested that these made-up titles could actually be cultural institution titles that make sense. So I want to talk about some new titles that might be able to fit that mold. Okay. But... I think we need to talk about how TTI organizes itself because that is going to define your character's TTI experience. And so how do they organize themselves? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Picture, picture, what do you see? Um, It seems like there's a bunch of large departments. Well, there's a bunch of departments and they're kind of loosely batched into three Uber categories Uh, When you get to people that work with biotechnology and constructing these these biopro buildings or these little tiny toy pet things, uh, you're dealing with the, I feel we should rewind here. Some characters in the books identify themselves as like a flesh architect or an umbral navigator or a materia knight or something like that. And that's what we're going to be kind of taking apart is what do those titles mean? So those are Fairly straightforward department, and then some more nebulous duties linked together in a funny way. If they're just made up, wouldn't they mean nothing? Well, the ones that are made up by the guy at 7-Eleven or your irritating brother-in-law that never gets a real job are different. (laughs) There are made up ones, but the corporation recognizes a certain dozen or so categories and dozen or so titles. Okay. They are a bit, uh, I believe the term is flowery in there naming there flowery yes they do go for art here so the department tied most closely to bioprobe construction and architecture and engineering and things like that are bone marrow flesh and soul and bone is structural marrow is connective tissue flesh is uh, organs i guess and soul is uh the closest analogy of the artificial intelligence okay personality yeah so a soul architect might design personality and things for a sentient bioprobe a bone builder might might supervise the construction of these things as they're grown from crystals that sort of thing okay we'll get to titles later because that gets complicated too there's a narrower section of departments that's specifically related to kind of exploration and there are two that are named uh, umbral 
which is dipping into the, the near quill other worlds, alternate existence planes, and Astra, which is presumably space, although with TTI space can get very hedgy because you can go into the deep void beyond without too much effort. The uh, navigators, which, which are described as keepers of knowledge, it sounds pretty much like R&D. Yeah, they have the, the like subdivisions there, they are umbral navigators, which, which you mentioned, which, which deal with the neocule realms. Spectral navigators, which work with the practical application of transcendent implants. What else? Material navigators, which deal with transcendent non-sapiens. It's like the monolith or a blight zone sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the title navigator is, I think, somewhat misleading because it's not, you think like a pilot type navigator, but it's really an expert, like a deep expert. Yeah, that is, that is true. Yeah. So that might be someone that researches new, well, I guess viscera navigator might be someone that designs new bioprobes or something like that. But kind of going by departments, there's, there's the more journey of discovery type thing that seems to be umbral and astra. And I don't think there's one that equates to geology. Maybe we're beyond geology at this point. But like for physical location, exploration, those two categories seem to be. I had just read it. That's why it's very fresh in my mind that the Astra and Visera, those are channelers, not navigators. There's a lot of titles and a lot of departments that are kind of mixed and matched together. So I like started listing them out, but then it was more interesting to kind of look for connections between the departments and things like that, just in terms of like what jobs go with what. So that's kind of where I was starting. Okay. And it doesn't have the same like hierarchical structure that the other corporations do. So that was difficult to pick apart. There's another kind of category of these these departments, which is a little bit more like player character style because they seem to specialize in retrieval missions and research missions. <laughs> um, there's like the material folks, which we talked about as being, um, they go and look at non-sentient transcendent issues like the monolith, like light spots, like new whisper works. And viscera, they just, they research bioprobes and biothreats, organic transcendent things like, I guess the owls would qualify if they were still a, a problem. Presumably in the new book of antagonists, there's going to be other things that can infiltrate living creatures in our world. Oh, yes. Spectral, which is cool manifestations. And maybe things like ghosts and hauntings tend to fall into their balabic as well. I don't know. But these... Um, that at least this is this is what it sounds to me like. It's uh, it sounds to me like they have some people who are like sitting around scouring soul nets for reports of you know, haunted building, of ghosts appearings, of monsters. Yeah, be because that could be something. Absolutely, and so these people's missions is frequently to go to a place where something weird was reported and retrieve it and take it back. And if it's the size of a blue whale and a living thrashing creature, that's going to be fun. And that's going to be where you need a PC on your team. Mm -hmm. So then the departments here are kind of subdivided by what your office title is. And we talked about the navigators, keepers of knowledge and deep understandings, research scientists. And then kind of underneath them, related to them, is the divers, which we only mention umbral divers, but presumably Astra divers is a thing as well. These are like going on deep exploration missions. I imagine there's a category of diver that goes under Europa's surface occasionally, uh, literally a diver, 
but we don't have a name for that. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, those are called divers. <laughs> we call them seals. Um, <laughs> but yeah, literally a diver in that case. Scribes are a category that kind of keeps records and catalogs, which sounds super fun. <laughs> Artificers are inventors and creators and developers, which is, a, that sounds like a good PC role as well. The party's contact person in a TTI institution might be an Illuminar, and that's kind of a project manager type, which any of these departments might have one of those. But they have a strong slice of things Vector was not meant to know and deep corporate secrets and lore. So they're scary people and usually kind of weird. Like that is where the eccentrics go in this kind of middle management level. Um, their knowledge is scary. The kind of people you keep around because they know or do stuff nobody else can. Right, very special skills agents. And I don't think that's really a good PC role because they're like local expertise in some ways and institutional resources. Mm -hmm. Maybe a very end game player Maybe. character I can see that like when you evolved in your understanding or something yeah but but generally I agree with you that that, that would be more an NPC that was like you said that is a contact person for a yeah PC group the channelers that seems a little more down to earth these are public agents basically they are yeah. kind of general middle management slash staff doers in this organization uh, and a Chandler is frequently an acquisition expert, which strongly implies PC. Okay. There's a subcategory of Chandler called the Knight, which is a Chandler with a weapon. <laughs> more or less, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more combat-oriented and, and more secretive as well. But then you get into some, some of the specific pairings that the book talks about. Um, the sole architect that designs artificial intelligence for bioprobes. The materia navigators that learn the inner workings of the monolith and go slowly insane. The Astra Channeler, that is a bioship pilot, very complex word for that. And the Astra Knight is a non-bioship pilot that's got guns, because Astra is like their word for space, I think. Uh, spectral Channelers, uh, they specialize in baiting and drawing the attention of fuel manifestations and pulling them out of hauntings and having, and uh, what's it, kiting? Is that what it's called? <laughs> Right. Which sounds like an awesome idea. I, this is terrible. The survivability level of this must be very, very low. Viscera channelers go chase after rogue bioprobes and bring them home and discover new biothreats and hopefully subdue them. If possible, I imagine. But I think you can kind of spin the wheel on these two departments, this list of departments and the list of jobs and kind of find some concepts that are uniquely you. I don't know. And I kind of wanted to talk on maybe some non-canon and not corp recognized groupings as well because the people in a TTI town they like titles and they're going to make their own titles as well even if the corporation doesn't recognize them so given that there's these different levels of expertise broken up by title I'm going to throw out culinary architect because that makes me very happy they build <laughs> burgers oh. <laughs> massive amazing burgers Mechanical seems like something that should be in there as well, uh, because there is electronics and things like that. And those people want their own titles that fit with the organization. Although maybe the deeper stranger stuff is taken on by ASR. Again, going on unofficial stuff, I'm going to float transient. And this is, this is my idea entirely. But that might be a category of people that identify as this that are focused on the sort of temporary cultural things like art, pop fads, uh, cultural movements, the sort of moment by moment current events and news thing because 
what is an artist going to identify themselves as? It's hard to say. And then um, for careers like government management, education, therapy, when that happens, kind of the broadly social sciences and historians, something like a mind architect or a mind navigator makes sense there, kind of a bucket for the more civil service and structural elements of society. Again, unofficial stuff. Community architect? In my notes, I wrote down cultural, but I thought mind... Oh, I like cultural even better. Both make sense because, yeah, what do you do for social research? Um, and that is a category that's marketing. Those are my people. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so, but I don't know. I mean, th those, those, are, those are some gaps in the structure that would be filled by the culture rather than the corporation necessarily. And for some new titles, I'm going to throw out uh, locutor, which is an old word for speakers or communicators. That's a good one. Forecasters, because I wanted to have something more speculative than that, but um, I couldn't find one that wasn't magical. Apprentice and journeyman and squire are kind of standard guild titles that might carry because the deep expertise titles are taken. But what if you're a student? Those would be good I, for... Uh, for I, I would not be surprised if a, uh, like a trainee for any of the knights would be called a squire. Yeah, makes sense. They do have that kind of slightly feudalistic Russian flavor to them occasionally. One group that we didn't discuss because they're kind of secretive is the, the Ruby <laughs> facet. Uh, they have the highest internal body count of any organization in Seoul because their job is to capture whispers. And all of them have been resurrected, you know, a half dozen times or more. <laughs> I don't know the kind of person that's hired for that job. They must be bonkers. And full of blood. <laughs> <laughs> and very full of blood. Probably also uh, paid really well. I hope so. Well, also, what happens when you resurrect somebody that's been infected by a whisper? 50-50 chance he explodes in more whispers and you have to resurrect him again. So you get these chain resurrections going on. <laughs> I don't want that job. I mean, that's all I'm saying no, there. No, that's, that's for interns. I imagine someone who intentionally goes for a job like that is probably someone who is very loyal to TTI. Or every high schooler. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a Ruby Foster. <laughs> no, you don't, Gary. No, you don't. <laughs> That's up there with Blood Knights, actually, in terms of uh, job titles. But I make up Blood Knights? Uh, I don't know, but they're both metal. They are. Hang on, I've got to search for the word Blood Knight now and make sure I didn't just totally <laughs> fabricate that. No, no, they, they, they are Blood Knights. The, the heavily armed people that go after bioprobes and such. Oh, good. Okay, so special category. We chop up bioprobes in the street. So the, the color text section of first edition core extended goes into a lot of detail on TTI internal workings, but it's very dark. It's like the negative side of TTI where the corporation is very secretive and clandestine and will kill you if you do a bad thing. They are a corporation that has positive relations with their people as well and a lot of loyalty. I, I do remember The description that for the citizens of other corporations, TTI uh, can appear very cult-like. Cult-like? I can see that. And it reminds me a little bit of Progenitus's structure as well. Since it's such a monolithic corporation, I think there's probably a very strong place for everything and everything in its place. Like the corporation is going to provide you this job. Um, it's a small, light corporation that can actually do that. 
So it may be that the structure is something that's kind of built organically around your character and everybody's expected to have a place in TTI land somewhere, which is probably why the people that work at the you know, copy shop down the street make up their own titles. So they feel like they're part of that giant structure as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's monolithic, but I do think that it's a culture that is very strongly influenced by the corporation and the corporation really does things very hierarchically and in a detailed proscribed way because it's one corporation. Yeah, I think that is probably at least in part because TTI has such a control over Europa. True, it is Europa for all practical purposes. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think any other corporation can make a claim like that to, to control an area so completely. Yeah, I mean, that lets them create this kind of crystalline structure organization that their citizens kind of grow up in and expect to be a part of. It doesn't seem like it's rigid. It seems like the various titles that we talk about later in the episode, they seem to overlap and shift a little bit and provide wiggle room for people to pursue their passions. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get the sense there's like strong teamwork as well in those groups. Like they like their, their roles, they like their departments, they like their teams. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's it's probably uh, flexible. Probably not. Uh, if if somebody turns out to be better suited for a job in a different department, then they probably just be transferred and not like, no, you're from for this department, you stay here. Well, and if like the departments of bone and marrow and nerve and organs and soul, they can't exist entirely independently. So cross training is going to be useful. I mean, you got to pick up skills from other teams. Makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think it's probably more monolithic from the outside than it is from the inside because those membranes are permeable on the inside. One, one could guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about superstition now. Is it really superstition if, uh, <laughs> if the true. eye of Jupiter is watching you and is beaming out strange transcendent energies and there's giant killer whale monsters under the surface that uh, create mass suicides? I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think we're not cl- cleared to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TTI people probably come across as somewhat obsessive, compulsive, uh, ritualistic, and weird. They have a reputation for being twitchy and superstitious. Uh, it is not unfounded. I, I, I think that is the, that impression that they are very superstitious is understandable because so much of what TTI does is difficult to prove or quantify with right. traditional science. And it's it's really more of an art than science anyway. So there is some magic in the works here too. On the subject of superstition, there's a kind of funny throwaway line that TTI views fear as a valid source of data and data gathering tool. So let's not underestimate that people might be sensitive to strange things and we should respond to how they act and when they freak out because that is another part of the transcendent ecosystem. We don't know. So these superstitions and weird terrors of things that lurk in the waves below are valid responses. Mm -hmm. If something scares you, there's probably a reason for it. (laughs) On the subject of things that scare me, I learned a new word from the book, and that word is xenophagophobia, which is a very common fear on uh, Europa, as the fear of being eaten by a giant alien creature. I'm glad somebody came up, came up with a name for it. It's a good word. There comes a time in 
each man's life, but he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. So all of this brings us to our usual segment on news and current events, the something awesome section. But I feel like that's going to be really irrelevant because of like the big news articles surrounding Europa right now. And uh, it's rare that something so topical comes up. Oh, yeah. How very convenient. Yeah, Europa glows in the dark. We know it now. Not on the side that faces Jupiter necessarily or the side that faces the sun. But in the darkness, uh, it glows a blue-green because of radioactive agitation from Jupiter. Interesting. Yeah, I think we're going to be sending a ship out to investigate that and take glow photographs. Anyway, that seems like another way of making your Europa experience more strange and more frightening, depending on how bright it is, uh, whether it's something you can see by or not, because Europa is barely terraformed in 700 AE. uh, And so that would still be part of the terrain there which another recent article says includes giant ice spires uh, as well in Europa's terrain. That 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 sounds just awesome. Oh, yeah. Giant ice spires and glowing nimbuses. I'd love this. Well, Tygon, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a treat to have you here. I love talking with you. Wines, I'm married to you, so whatever. Hi, Uh, feed me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nice to talk to you, Tygon. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for having me, and I would be uh, very happy to come back sometime. Heck yeah. Okay, well, we'll definitely bring you in for Brain Bugs and uh, catchy outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Sirius Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, radiofreedemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. 